All right, welcome back to the Christian Tactician Podcast. I am your host, Adam Yates. Thank you so much for taking a few moments to listen to me today. So grateful for all those who spend their time listening to me and for those who offer up suggestions for podcasts and who give me uh, such positive feedback. I thank you for that. Uh, Today's podcast is going to be directly uh, related to something that I had received from one of the listeners and a suggestion of a, of a topic for me to address today. And so I want to do that uh, real quickly. I'm going to go through my typical intro. You know, I want to remind you guys, all of you guys, you know, that we, we believe, we, we know, we love a God who is a God of purpose. He's God who knows what he's doing, created you with purpose for a purpose, and a God of purpose, he knows how to get you where he wants you to be. We don't walk without the light of the gospel. In the book of Psalms, it talks about it, how thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It helps us to know where to go, especially in times of uncertainty, and, and certainly we are in times of uncertainty. I want to remind you that dogs also bark at what they don't know. Seems strange for me to remind you of that, huh? Such a weird thing. For those of you who are listening to this for the first time, you've never heard that probably before, but you know, I, I take that. Dogs also bark at what they don't know. And I want to call to to you, to men, to Christians, you know, that uh, especially manhood, you know, it's something that is Christian manhood is not thought highly of uh, because manhood in general has been diminished and, and washed down and it has not been held in the high regard that it should. And because of that, when you see men who are standing up to do that, which is right, people are, are worried, they're afraid, they're concerned about it. It is a threat. But we have an opportunity every time you decide that you are going to walk as Christ called you to walk, that you're willing to challenge yourself as Christ challenged you. People see it. And as they see it, you begin to make a change in people's minds and their understanding of what a man truly is. I want to remind you that there are four things that I believe so strongly a man must have. He must be. He must be a man of action. He doesn't stand by idle. He's active. He's looking for where there are challenges, and he's facing them. Challenges in his life, challenges in the life of those who he's responsible for. He is a man of action. A man of God, he is a man of responsibility. He accepts and he desires responsibility. He accepts the responsibility that was given him when he was created, when God purposed him. The responsibility that comes with uh, being a Christian. The responsibility that comes with being a man, having others look up to him. He accepts that responsibility, and he goes beyond that. He desires a responsibility. He's someone who makes an effort to have a good reputation that when people hear his name, when they think of him, they think good things. I want to be around that guy. And you do it because you take responsibility. You own responsibility. You want responsibility. Your boss should look to you. You should be someone who people, when there's a problem, they look to you and they say, I feel so strongly this guy can take care of it. A man of God is a man of responsibility. A man of God is a man of leadership. He leads from the front. He is visible. He is seen. He doesn't send somebody else to do his work. It's not a do as I say and not as I do. He leads his family, leads in prayer, leads in asking forgiveness. He leads difficult conversations. He is a leader. It's difficult because a leader always has a target on his back. We love to criticize, and a leader gets the most of it, but a man of God's not afraid of that. And that last thing, a man of God is a man of great expectation. Expectation. All of this is worth it. Every struggle, every difficulty, every challenge as a Christian, it is worth it. A man of God is a man of great expectation. So let's get into our podcast today, and I'm going to tell you right now that we are going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk about a heavy subject today. If you look at my title, you can see that my title is "Stand Fast, Therefore, in the Liberty Where Christ Has Made Us Free." 
And that's from Galatians, the fifth chapter, the first verse. And I want to talk about this because one of the uh, one of the suggestions that I got for a podcast was this. It would be good to do a podcast relating to our current events. For example, the protests, riots, looting, etc. And what should be our role in this time? That was the request that I had gotten. And so I spent some time, I actually got that text Oh, probably close to a month ago, and I've spent some time thinking about it uh, periodically and just really wanting to consider it. Today, as I was uh, doing some studying and, and working on some other things uh, for for the church, I found myself, I, I was drawn to this scripture, and I started thinking about it. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. You know, this is a day of uncertainty, uh, one in which the future is probably more clouded than we ever may have thought. Uh, you know, it's July 27th when I'm recording this, and this year, 2020, this year has been totally unusual. We've been witness to things that the world has never seen. I've been witness to, to many things over my lifetime. You know, I'm not young, but I'm not old. But I've been around long enough that I've seen several things in my life that that not just myself, but many people never would have thought would have happened. And I think of a couple big things right off the bat. You know, I, I remember President Clinton being impeached for committing adultery while in, literally in the Oval Office. Some of you remember that probably. It was unheard of. It wasn't that there wasn't uh, presidents in the past who there were questions of and things like that. John F. Kennedy is one who comes to mind. But this was a president who was caught, who was charged, who was prosecuted, you know, in, in, in through through uh, the Senate. You know, it was unheard of. I remember being in uh, my, my, uh, my history class, and uh, my history teacher, and this was in high school, my history teacher turned on the TV, which was unusual then. He had to wheel it in on a cart, you know, and said, you guys have to watch this. This will be the most significant thing that ever happens in your life. And it was the school shooting at Columbine. And I uh, watched that shooting, watched the things that unfolded. I can remember watching uh, as as kids came out with their hands up, you know, and police officers and SWAT teams there. I remember uh, a kid flinging himself out of a broken window and, and remember his, his like his arm or something got caught and it was just gushing blood as he went down. All right, that wasn't, that teacher was wrong. That was not the most significant event of my lifetime. 9-11 happened a few years later. And for all of us who were alive at that time, you know, you know where you were when 9-11 happened. And you can see, you remember everything that happened there. You know, we went from a moment of great tragedy, not a moment, but quite a while of great tragedy, to then feeling uh, this this need to go and right the wrongs, and 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 we went and we and we waged war against our enemies, uh, and that war is still, in some ways, still going on now. Nineteen years later, significant event, and up until this current year, most of us would probably say that is the most significant event of our lifetime. And yet now we've seen 2020, a virus that, uh, despite its level of danger, wherever you believe its danger is, you know, it swept over the entire world and over every world economy. In this, the safest and most stable country in the world, we're seeing violent protests coming on the heels of it. We're seeing calls for law and order to be removed. We're seeing calls for law and order to be brought in. We're seeing destruction. We're seeing people who are out of work. We're seeing political instability. We're seeing economic instability. We're seeing all of these things today that we probably never thought would ever happen. I've had a lot of these conversations lately. Truth be told, I have conversations with myself. I'm probably not the only one. 
but I've had conversations with other men. I've had conversations within my own mind. What is my role in everything that's going on? See, because as men, there's this part of us that is programmed to take action. You know, we love war movies. I'll tell you, one of my favorite movies to watch is Saving Private Ryan. And I love watching the series Band of Brothers. You know, movies like that, sports movies, we watch over and over again because as men, there's this part of us that's stirred up by the idea of a righteous battle, of something worth giving our every effort for, of earning victory, of being involved in a physical struggle. These things appeal to men. It calls to us. This has always been the case, and and it's nearly exclusive to men. In a lot of the things you're seeing today, you're probably feeling in some of your frustrations or some of your concerns with the way things are going here or there, you're probably feeling these these things welling up inside of you. I need to do something. I need to take action. I, this is a question. This, this is the reason why I'm doing this podcast. This was the question or the suggestion that was made because we need to know. You know, depending on your political leanings, you see things within our society that cause you frustration. Conservatives see a deterioration of the rights that men have fought and died for. Those, those things that have been the source that has drawn people from all over the world to take great efforts to come to America. And, and you know, and I remember that. when you know I've traveled to several third world countries, and there has not been a single one where I haven't had people there tell me how great America was and ask me if there's any way that I could get them there. Because America stands for things that, you know, it really is the the greatest, the last and greatest hope for mankind. It is a land of freedom. It is a land that 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 has been a, a stirring inspiration for people to take great risks to come here from all over the world. And so conservatives see a deterioration of those things that make America what it is. Liberals See a society that's forgotten the needs of the common person, and that has been overtaken with greed and individualism. Liberals think that there's more that we need to do to go away from the, the building up of certain entities and people and all of that and to consider the needs of everybody. Most of you who listen to this podcast are going to fall into one of these two categories. You're probably going to call, fall into that first category, which uh, by my own descriptions, you can probably find, you can probably determine which one of those two I fall into. But I do see these as, as real challenges to us. And within our church, within the church that I am a minister of, I know that there are people who see things from both sides. Both sides have good intentions, I believe, at least within our church and within a majority of our of our nation. I, I believe that there are people on both sides here who who are dangerous on, on on either side, right and left. But I believe, especially when I'm looking at our church, I mean there are people who are going to fall down on either side of of where we're seeing our society right now. And we can find uh, godly reasons on either side as well. I truly believe that, even though I lean one particular way. You know, for myself I have a tremendous sense of pride and loyalty to my country. I remember this time uh, many years ago. We were having a church gathering up in northern Arizona at my family's ranch, and uh, I was asked to do um, to do something at one of our evening campfires. And you know, I could have been whatever I wanted to. I could have done a study. I could have done a little sermonette. I could have, you know, whatever it was. Well, uh, you know, my lieutenant had asked me. Uh, a week or so before, he said, "Hey, are you going to go camping anytime soon?" Yeah, I'm going to go camping. He goes, "Hey, would you would you take this American flag with you?" This was the flag that was flying up in front of uh, our station, and he said, "It's been tattered. It's been torn by the by the wind and all that sort of stuff." And would you would you take care of this flag in the proper manner? 
that it's supposed to be taken care of. And so I took it up to our ranch and I did some studying on it and looked to see what's this proper way to take care of the flag. And, you know, to, you know, we don't just throw it in the garbage can because it symbolizes something. And then the proper way that we did it was, is that we, you know, we burned it. And there was a certain way that I had looked and it, and from everything that I gleaned, it was the best way to, to burn this flag and was first to cut the stars and the stripes away from the rest of it. And it no longer then symbolized what it was and then to burn it. And you do it in an honorable manner. And I gave some thoughts and some things to it, you know, and it really touched me because I thought about it. You know, that particular flag had been flying over that, over that station. And it was there when uh, the first friend of mine was killed in the line of duty. And it was a flag as I looked at it and I thought about it, you know, it symbolized a lot of things. It symbolized a country that I love. Uh, it symbolized a country that brought about the most prosperous times known to man. It symbolized a country that brought the most freedom, religious freedom, economic freedom, all of these things, you know. And so I went through and I and I did this uh, little presentation with the people who were there and, and had this ceremony to to properly honor a flag. And I remember as I put this flag into the fire, I looked down at my my nephew was there. My nephew now is 16 years old, but he was just a little guy then. And he was crying. He was crying at what I was doing. And he was crying because he was taught that that flag was so important. Taught to have a sense of pride and loyalty to his country. But I, I very much felt the way he did. That there is something that to me, you know, I look at what's going on in sports today and all that, and I'm here to tell you I'm not going to watch professional sports anymore. I don't need those athletes to try to make a statement about how terrible they think this country is when they live and they are participating in the most prosperous, the most free, the most racism-free country ever known and diminish this country that I love. So for myself, I have a great sense of pride and loyalty to my country. And if you're listening to this, you probably feel the same way. I love America. There's not a lot of people who have had opportunity like I have to travel to other nations. Or if you have, you've just gone shortly. And you probably, if you have traveled to other nations, and I haven't gone to a ton, but you probably haven't gone to the places that I have. You've probably gone to touristy places and things like that. But I've been in there, and I'm not trying to brag, but they're amongst the poor people and the people who, you know, when I was in uh, uh, a couple countries in Africa, you know, everybody had a story of little children who had died because they didn't have access to clean water. You know, uh, uh, people who, you know, they have a fear of the government troops and of police officers and all of those things. You know, I've traveled in those places, those places we would call third world countries, these places where people, they have very little rights. They don't have a lot of opportunity and they, they live in physical peril. And so it helps me to see and to love this country. There's nothing like perspective to help you truly love something more. You know, as a police officer, I was a police officer for many years, and, you know, I wore a flag on my uniform. And as a SWAT team member, I wore two flags, one for Arizona and one for the United States of America. You know, I, I was ne I've never been a soldier. You know, I, I wore these flags on my uniform, and I was so very proud of it. I wasn't a soldier fighting in some distant land against, you know, those people who seek to destroy our way of life. Uh, but I was there, and I, you know, I was maintaining a peace that is part of the guarantee of this land of freedom. I, I felt it was the it was my duty to my country to do so, even if it meant that I had to sacrifice my own life to do it. I have had several friends, not people that I barely rubbed shoulders with, but legitimate friends who gave their lives for that same ideal, who were killed because of uh, their efforts to maintain the peace that is the guarantee of this land of freedom. 
Their lives were not taken by foreign soldiers on distant battlefields, but they were taken by citizens of this very same country. Citizens whose goal was to diminish the freedoms and the abilities of others to enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Perhaps one of the hardest things for me to resolve in my mind is... uh, the proper place to put all of my deeply held beliefs. You know, our our national liberty defends our religious liberty. And both of those things were fought for at a tremendous cost of men who were willing to lay their lives on the line for everything that the United States of America stands for. And this podcast isn't just for Americans, but the bulk of my listeners are in America, and this is where I'm at. And so this is where, where, where all of these things and feelings, you know, for, for, for some of my, uh, some of people that I that I've been acquainted with and our church members who live in foreign lands, you know, they you don't understand. It's impossible for you to understand without actually living here and being a part of the United States of America. The the things that we hold dear, they're foreign to you. I had a client just the other day. I was over at his home, and this guy immigrated from India, and he's talking about some of these things, and he's talking about masks. And, you know, I'm not making a statement on masks, but one thing he said, you know, people just need to listen to what the government's saying and just put masks on. And I said, you'll never understand, because you came from a place where that's what you do. We are a country that was built on rebellion. We hold pride in the fact that we hold to our personal liberties, even to the point that we would be willing to fight for it. So when you say you should just do what you're told, you're speaking against the very essence of what this country is. And so it's difficult because I feel strongly about all of these things. And so when I see people going out and looking to destroy in the name of quote-unquote protest— When I see governments doing things that I feel like are diminishing the rights of the citizens, when I see uh, things that are happening as a result of this virus that has been seen to be pretty much uncontrollable, that diminishes the rights and the freedoms of the people of this country and of myself, it causes me frustration. And one of the hardest things for me to resolve in my mind is the proper place for all of my deeply held beliefs. And I'm probably not the only one who has this feeling. You know, there have been efforts to disrupt, to interfere, and to stall stall the efforts of religion. Religion, throughout all time, has been a threat to governments, and especially Christianity has been a threat to governments. You see things that are happening within our country right now that seek to diminish the ability of churches. There have been pushes to redefine marriage and to try to, to stifle the efforts of those who want to hold fast to the religious convictions that they have in business, in churches, in, in public life, all of these things. If we remember the scriptures, one of the things that Christ was, that was used against Christ was that he was seeking to set up his own kingdom, and it was a direct threat against the power of that day. As I lay out all of these things, most of you who were listening to this, you probably are shaking your head in complete agreement with the things that I've said. You feel the same way. Your stories might be different, but you feel the same way as me. I'm certain that most all of you do. So this all brings up this very difficult question, and it is, what does a Christian man do? How does the man of Christ respond to a nation in turmoil, to rights and liberties being threatened, to chaos in the streets, to a nation that is becoming unrecognizable. What does a Christian man do? You know, I want you to think 
about this and really think about this. I had a conversation just last weekend about this, that there are so many righteous causes that we can put our full effort into and that we could get into them for all of the right reasons. And these causes might even be highly Christian. For example, we could move to some impoverished country to help those in need. It's a Christian cause. Or we could spend time and effort battling against abortion. That's a highly Christian cause. And, and neither of these things are bad, but it might also not be what God would have us to do. One of the things that I think about, and, it, and, and you know, I think about this in my life, is I've sat down several times and I've thought, okay, if I were to look at the end of my life, what would be one of my greatest fears, aside from a, uh, taking away spirituality out of it? Okay, my greatest fear would be not going to heaven. But if I took spirituality out of it, if I'm looking at the end of my life, what would be one of my greatest fears? And one of my greatest fears would be that I spent my time in vain, that my time was wasted on things that truly didn't matter. And I think this is something that is so very important for us to think about. There are many righteous causes that we can put our full effort into. We could get into them for all the right reasons. They might even be causes that are highly Christian. But if it's not what God wants us to do, it can truly be a waste of our time. I want you to think about this. Consider this current pandemic. We have seen and we are experiencing uh, national and worldwide shutdowns. Economies are shaky at best. Right now, our economy might look like it's having, what do they keep saying, a V-shaped curve to it. I don't know how a V is a curve, but it'd be in a V-shape where it went down and it's coming back up. And, you know, it, in some ways it looks like it, but it, it's shaky. It's standing on a precipice, as is the worldwide economy. Businesses, big and small, are being affected to the point that many cease to exist. And, I, and I'd and i heard a, uh, a statistic, and I'm going to get it wrong, uh, so I'll just make it in generalized, but that uh, in, the, in the city of Phoenix, there's something like 900 businesses that will never open up again. That's a lot of businesses. You figure for every one of those, there's multiple people who are involved in it, not just the people who own it and who work there, but accountants who do the taxes for it and this person who brings supply chain to it and all of those sort of things, right? As a business owner, there are some things that really irritate me. <laughs> How a government can come in and shut down a business without giving any compensation for the loss of income, in my mind, it's absolutely criminal. And in my heart, I want to fight it because it's not fair and it's absolutely wrong. And I have friends other than me who owns a business and who have been affected by all of these things that have been happening. I have friends who own businesses as well who have been told by the governor with just a swipe of a pen, you may no longer function as a business until I say so. The last one said indefinitely. Drives me crazy. Makes me mad. It's absolutely not fair. This is a land of liberty, one that people come to from all over the world because this is a place where you can make or break, but it should be on you. And yet we have a government who's doing, who's, who's taking it, who's stopping. So this to me, it causes me frustration, but I have to pause and I have to consider a couple things. And I want you to pause and consider a couple of things. As Christians, if you are a Christian, listen to this one Christian tenant that we believe, we believe it. Uh, because Christ said it, is, is that he is going to return. The real question about it is when. There is no question about whether or not Christ said he's going to return. If you're a believer in Christ, it's, it's beyond questioning. The real question is when. There are those who believe that it will be soon. They may point to all sorts of things that help to give evidence in their minds to why they believe it'll be soon. And there are those who have thought that 
throughout many years. And I don't necessarily know, and I'm not going to stake any sort of claim on when or anything like that. To me, it doesn't matter. I have responsibility whether it's in my lifetime or not. But as Christians, we do hold to Christ's words that he will return. And if you look in your Bible and you go to the very back of it, there's this very big and somewhat confusing book called the book of Revelation. Not Revelations with an S, it's a single Revelation. It was given to the Apostle John as he was on the island of Patmos, and he was taken in the Spirit, and he was shown all of these things and told to record it. And he was told that he was going to record these things that had to do all the way through the end of the world until the time that Christ is going to return and the earth is rolled together as a scroll and there's going to be a judgment that comes and you're going to have that, that time and that place that we commonly refer to as heaven that the book of Revelation calls a new heaven and a new earth where we will dwell with Christ for eternity. If we believe, and some don't, that the book of Revelation is laid out in a mostly chronological order, we read about the fall of Babylon in chapter 18. And then in chapter 19 is the return of Christ. If you look throughout Scripture and you consider this, you know, uh, Babylon had already fallen at the time that the angel revealed all of these things to John. So he wasn't talking about something that was shortly to happen in the future. Babylon no longer existed. So he must have been talking about some future society or or um, state of the world, whatever it is, when he's talking about Babylon. And I'm not going to say Babylon is the United States. I do believe it is the modern world, and especially when we start looking at some of the things, some of the descriptions of it. You may disagree with me, but I at least want you to consider these things, and I want you to consider at least the fact that before the return of Christ, there are a lot of things that have to happen. And if you go back to Matthew chapter 24, and you read in Luke chapter 21, it lays out a lot of these things because... The disciples, they asked Christ, they wanted to know, hey, what is going to be the end of all things, and what's going to be the sign of you returning? And so what we have here in Revelations chapter 18 is just another picture of that, these things that Christ told the apostles, his disciples, in chapter 24 of Matthew and Luke 21. I told you we're going to talk about some heavy things here, and we're going to read Revelations chapter 18. And so what I want you to just think of is, I'm reading out of the King James Version. If you've listened to me before, you know this is what I use. And I realize that that you have two challenges when it comes to the book of Revelation. Number one, it's written prophetically, and so everything is not always perfectly clear. And, and some of it is up to interpretation, and I understand that. And so you can challenge my interpretation of things if you want. I have no problem with that. The other thing is it's, it's written in, in an old uh, English sort of way, but I'm gonna re- we're going to read this. And we're going to read all of Revelation chapter 18, because I want you—remember what I, what I had just said, is I said that as Christians we believe that Christ's going to return. John was shown all things, and he was shown for that purpose, that the the believers in Christ know what was going to happen. And if we believe that the book of Revelation is laid out in in a chronological order, at least semi-chronological, we see in chapter 18 there's a fall of Babylon, and in chapter 19 is the return of Christ. So let's go ahead and read these things real quick. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunken of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double under her double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled 
fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she said in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen, purple and silk, scarlet and all fine wood, and all manner of vessels of ivory, and all manner of vessels of precious wood, and of brass, and iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and odors, and ointments, and frankincense, and wine, and oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and beasts, and sheep, and horses, and chariots, and slaves, and the souls of men. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster, and all the company, and ships, and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off, and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads, and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a, a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. You know, reading all this, and I realize that there's a lot of things that are that are said in here, and this can be a pretty confusing reading. You, if you feel so inclined, you do your own research and you kind of make a decision amongst yourself or, or within yourself of what you think Babylon is. Uh, my opinion is, is I feel like it probably encompasses all of the modern first world countries and all the things that they stand for. And I, and I, you know, this isn't the only place in scripture that talks about Babylon. Some of these things that it talks about, you know, is that all the nations of the earth have, have drunk the, uh, the wine of the wrath of her fornication and they've committed fornication with her. And, and, um, it's become this, this place for every foul spirit and all of these things, you know, and it says in verse five, it says her sins have reached to heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. You know, and there's a place in the book of Mormon that talks about when the voice of the people choose evil, that that's a time when they when 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 the Lord is going to be looking to bring judgment upon them. You make your own decisions whether you think that's where we're at. I'm not saying that because there's this worldwide virus that we are here and everything's about to end. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That's not what I'm telling you because I don't know. 
right? And I'm not going to be so bold as to make a prediction like that, because truthfully, I don't want that to happen. But I am looking at everything, and I'm looking at descriptions of things that's going to happen. You know, I, I I put in italics, and I underlined some things here about talking. It says in verse 11, the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, and that no man buyeth her merchandise anymore. And it lays out all these things that Babylon was known for. And it was things of gold and silver and precious stones and all sorts of, of beautiful things, right? Um, precious woods and brass and iron and 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 things that smelled good and and wine and oil and fine flour. Those were things at that time that only the rich had and sheep and beasts and all that. And it says in horses and chariots and, and horses and chariots, if you look throughout prophetically throughout scripture, that has to do with military might and power. But it also talks about some of these things, these two other aspects that this, that Babylon was making merchandise of. So it was buying and selling in and all those things. That was part of the reason why the Lord was bringing down his wrath, it says, and, and they had slaves and the souls of men. I'm not talking about slaves like, like what had happened in the United States, you know, 200 years ago. That's not what I'm talking about at all, because there are things that enslave the souls of men right now that nobody ever puts a shackle on a single person, but it's done in the, the sin that is becoming so prevalent and apparent, not just in the United States, but throughout all of, of your first world society, throughout the modern world. And so I'm not saying that this particular scripture that I just read is happening right at this moment, but it's certainly full of things that we need to be looking at. And so now let's talk about that in terms of, of what it is that we're supposed to do. And I said all these things because remember what I told you, if you're a Christian, you believe that Christ is going to return. And if you believe the scriptures, there is going to be a judgment come on Babylon that's going to come on the entire earth, it says in other places, before Christ's return. You know, if we look at what's going on right now, now, you're probably frustrated. I shared with you my frustration. There are things that we want to fight against. I don't like that my liberties are being diminished here or diminished there. I don't like these things that are happening. I don't like that my business is affected. I don't like that my friend is not able to open his gym. All of these things, it frustrates me. But I want you to consider some things that I think we just read about in Revelation chapter 18 that must happen whether it's now or eventually that must happen, things must fall that have been set up above God. Now, I want you to think of something here. I read an article this morning on the BBC. Yeah, I read the BBC. I read a lot of different news when I'm reading my, or when I'm drinking my coffee in the morning because I like to be informed. And this particular article was titled, Is the Age of Celebrity Over? And this article talked about how celebrities are becoming insignificant now. They've lost their stage. They've lost their platform. Nobody sees them. You know, their ability to work and their influence is diminishing, right? Because COVID, because the coronavirus has shut down the ability to produce movies and all that. There's not red carpets anymore for us to be looking at. Some of the national gossip is going on. This particular article talked about how in the place of talking about the latest fashion and, and what celebrities doing what, that a lot of the people who are getting their face on the times and on these various things are, are these... Uh, health ministers throughout all these different countries. It's really interesting if you think about it, right? Hollywood has become a god, not only to the United States, but also to the world. And within it are those who are diametrically opposed to God and to his word. There have been reports that there are major movie theaters that are on the brink of bankruptcy because of the coronavirus, and that how we watch and how we get our entertainment may never be the same. And so I want to ask you, does that fall in line with some of the things that have to fall in Babylon. Think about this. Government is a god. 
There is no argument with that. I don't care who you are. It has become a god. It sets itself up in position of God. We have learned to turn to the government in the United States for answers, for comfort, for safety, for provision. But we have seen something that I think is really interesting, that one microscopic virus and the governments and their organizations of health, they have no answers. A government that we turn to for answers. We've been given information. It seems like day to day there is conflicting information with what was said yesterday or what some health minister or health scientist, whatever it is, said five days ago, a week ago, a month ago. In the beginning, it was masks don't matter. There's no reason to wear a mask. It doesn't do you any good. And now you have to wear a mask if you want to step outside and take a whiz. There's no comfort coming from our government because they don't know. Politicians have become ill. Hollywood has gotten ill from this. There's no safety from the God of government. It's touched all over the place. The God of government cannot stop riots from destroying. Government has had difficulty being the provider. There's people who have been out of work through no fault of their own, and the safety nets that the government is supposed to supply has failed them. But all things have to fall. I'm not saying that we have to want that because it means difficult times. But I want, to, I want to continue to ask you to consider things. I want you to consider everything I just talked about. It was just a couple short things, but think about these things, right? Especially in context of what I just read. And consider you as a man, your inclination to fight, to take action. But I want you to consider some really wise words that we read in the, that we read in the book of Acts. And this is in Acts chapter 5. And Peter and the apostles, they were standing trial. They were standing in front of a council. And so I'm going to read Acts chapter 5, 34 through 39. It says this, Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put forth the apostles a little space. And said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Theodos, boasting him to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about four hundred, joined themselves, whom was slain. And all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, and drew, much, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found to fight against God. So this is something that's interesting. So this man is there as this council was trying to figure out what are we going to do with Peter and all of these disciples and all these apostles here. They're going about and they're preaching about Christ and they had already told him you're not going to do it. And at the end of this, if I've got the story right, they decide to do is they just beat him really good and let him go. But the people there, the, the council, they wanted to kill them because you should not be out preaching about Christ. And this man stood up and he said, hang on, I want you guys to think about this for a second. There have been movements before of people who stood up and trying to make a change. And there was a man who he got about 400 people together, and but this guy died. And everybody who obeyed him, they were scattered, and that movement was brought to nothing. And after that, there was another guy, Judas of Galilee, and he drew a lot of people after him, but he also perished. And everybody that obeyed him, everyone that followed him, they also were dispersed. And then he makes this important statement. He says, refrain from these men, leave them alone. He says, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. He said, if, the, if God is leading what they're doing, you will not be able to stop it. And you may just find yourself fighting against God. Now, this is something that is interesting that we need to think about. We seem to think that every... Every disaster that happens, God doesn't cause bad, but he also allows it to happen. There are innocent people who are hurt and, and who suffer, 
God doesn't cause that, but he allows people to make decisions. He allows things to happen. He allows natural disasters. You know, he set the, the world on course, and he set it into motion and took his hands off of it and let it be. And he let storms form and dissipate. And sometimes they went here or there. And from time to time, according to what he knew was, was, was wisdom, he might change things. He might stand in the way of it. But he's got a, he's got an overview. He's got a vision from from higher than 30,000 feet. He knows all these things, and he knows how to work things to his good. We must believe that. And so as we start thinking about all of these things that are going on right now in our world and in our country that as men makes us want to stand up and fight against, we have to be very careful. Because if it's of God, we cannot overthrow it, lest we be found to fight against God. That brings me to this scripture in Galatians 5 and 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You know, there is freedom in being human. There's a freedom that is there. Even in the most restrictive places on earth, there is freedom. Prisoners have freedom. It's freedom within. It's freedom inside of your heart. Our heart, our our thoughts, our desires are always ours, and no one can take it away. We have freedom to choose. Even a prisoner can choose to fight or can choose to be passive. Someone who lives in a dictatorship can choose to start a rebellion. But we who are called of God have accepted the freedom to serve Christ. This needs no outward freedom. Slaves were a large part of those who were converted by the efforts of the apostles following Christ's ascension. That's not to say, and I'm not telling you, that we should give up our freedom. I'm not saying that. On the contrary, there should be many things that you as a man are willing to fight and die for. There are many things. For me, I'm willing to fight and die for religious freedom. I'm willing to fight and die for my family. I'm willing to fight and die for the person down the street who I disagree with. I'm willing to fight and die for so many things. But we cannot become entangled with the yoke of bondage. And even a righteous cause can become bondage if it isn't led by God's purposes. You know, those who believe in the Book of Mormon, and I've read this before, but you know, they oftentimes, especially in times like now, when we're looking at things that we disagree with and there's whispers of of fighting and all that sort of stuff, we look to this man Moroni, and I've read about him before, and I'll read about him here again, you know, rightly so, rightly so, because he was a warrior, a righteous warrior. But as we read his attributes, we often fail to acknowledge something that I think is far more important. So I'm going to read Alma chapter 21, and I'm going to read verse 132 to 139. It says, And Moroni was a strong and a mighty man. He was a man of perfect understanding, a man that did not delight in bloodshed, a man whose soul did joy in the liberty and the freedom of his country and his brethren from bondage and slavery. Yea, a man whose heart did swell with thanksgiving to his God for the many privileges and blessings which he bestowed upon his people, a man who did labor exceedingly for the welfare and safety of his people. Yea, he was a man who was firm in the faith of Christ, and he had sworn an oath to defend his people and his rights and his country and his religion, even to the loss of his blood. We hold to that. We talk about that. And as a man, that stirs you up. That's right. I love liberty. I love freedom. I'm willing to defend to the loss of blood, even in my own life. It stirs us up as men. But we need to go on, because this is something that is so very important. Now the Nephites, now the people that he was a part of, they were taught to defend themselves against their enemies, even to the shedding of blood, if it were necessary. Yea, they were also taught never to give an offense, and never to raise the sword except it were against an enemy, except it were to preserve their lives." 
And this was their faith, that by so doing, God would prosper them in the land. Or in other words, if they were faithful in keeping the commandments of God, that he would prosper them in the land. Yea, warn them to flee or to prepare for war according to their danger. And also God would make it known unto them where they should go to defend themselves against their enemies, and by so doing the Lord would deliver them. And this was the faith of Moroni, and his heart did glory in it, not in the shedding of blood, but in doing good, in preserving his people, in keeping the commandments of God, yea, and resisting iniquity. What is the important part of that? Is that he was a man whose whole heart and his whole soul was willing to fight and to defend those things that were good and righteous, God-led. But they didn't do it unless God was the one who showed them. Said their faith was that they that they didn't raise their sword except in preservation of their own lives. If they kept his commandments, that he would help them to prosper and he would warn them to flee or to be ready for war or to go somewhere to defend themselves, whatever they needed, that the Lord would deliver them. And this was what led them. It was the fact that they put it all before God for him to dictate what was worth fighting for. You know, so what is our role? How do we respond to all of these things that make us want to go find a righteous cause? We must be certain above all else that we are walking with Christ. Man of God, walk with Christ and pray for wisdom and for discernment because there are all sorts of things that can be righteous causes that you put your whole heart for. But if God doesn't lead it, it's worth nothing. That if there is some part that you are to play, that God will make it clear to you and that there will be no question. Absent this, you are entangled again in bondage. Absent this, you may be fighting against God. This has been a heavy podcast, a lot of things to think about. I would suggest you listen to it again and you think about all this. There's something within us that makes us want to grab a hold of a worthy cause, a righteous cause, something to fight for. There is nothing more worthy and more righteous than fighting for Jesus Christ. Nothing more worthy and more righteous than fighting for the walk of a Christian man, and a Christian home, and a Christian wife, and Christian children. There is nothing worth more effort and nothing more righteous than to fight to uphold the tenets of Jesus Christ that you promised that you would hold up in baptism. And there are other things that you may be asked to do, but if God doesn't lead it, be careful. This requires discernment, understanding truly what God is asking of you. It's not something that happens oftentimes, oftentimes, at the spur of a moment. The Lord certainly may spur you to act, but I mean, if it comes to something like taking up arms to fight for something, oh man, you better be certain that God is telling you to do it. And that's something that really is going to take some time and effort in prayer. And I'm not advocating that. I'm not advocating that. I'm advocating you putting your whole soul before God and saying, what would you have me to do in this day? And be ready if God asks you to make sacrifice, or be ready if God says you need to close your door and you need to let this pass by. You need to strengthen your brother. This fight isn't for you, whatever it is. This is how we play our part in this day that we live in. Regardless of whether the end of the world is in 20 days or 20 years, it doesn't matter. The Lord is the one who's able to lead us. It's our responsibility to be seeking Him and to arise from the dust and be men.